The Pizzeria and Enzo show is filmed live in front of the people that are on the podcast. Chef Dr. Mike is on the line. There we go. <laughs> hey, Mike. Hey, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. I see you still got your Christmas mug out. Uh, where? Oh, you just drank from it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't trying to be jerky. It was uh, just when I saw Jack Skellington, I said, oh, man, he's Christmas, Christmas guy. In, in our house, every day is Halloween. So, <laughs> so, so I guess Halloween that. Town. <laughs> nice. That is awesome. So, I guess Jack Skeleton for you would be more of a Hall Halloween. Yeah. Exactly. Well, every every day, every day is Halloween. That is neat. That is neat. We uh, we share that in that. My wife, she's nuts about Halloween, man. We have a lot. We watch movies, and it's the only month. And I'm kind of a, I don't know, not a, I, 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 I'm not a big fan of scary movies. Because I get scared, because I've been scared so much, I don't like being scared for any reason. <laughs> that I put myself into a purpose during, um, you know, Halloween month, you know, October. I actually watch the scary movies with her and just suffer for a whole month. So that's what that's what I, yeah, I got to give. You know, you got to give a little bit. Uh, that, 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 that's right. Yeah, the same thing. Um, my wife loves Halloween, so I said every day. We I live in Halloween town. <laughs> Bougie, I found that we had communicated before because you talked about making that you make an amazing pizza yeah <laughs> every friday is pizza Friday, and i'll share with everyone uh it took the italians of course to do the study but showing that homemade pizza which i've said for years from scratch with great ingredients is actually associated with health unlike the the delivery types of pizzas so pizza is officially a health food they just published that this week it just came out that's good news that's great news. <laughs> that is, that is. I knew the Italians news. would prove me right. <laughs> it did take the Italians to do it. So, which is, which is, which is fitting. How's everything in your world? Snowy. So we're, we're going to get actually starting about now. We're uh, anywhere from 12 to two feet of snow. Wow. Two feet of snow. Where are you? Montana. Montana. Well, funny story. I was talking to a, guy I work with. He lives in Columbia, South Carolina, which is like an hour and a half from me. It's going to snow in Columbia tonight, Tom. No, I, I can't believe that. It, well, I guess it's good. I mean, it is January because today is Andrea's birthday, my wife. Happy birthday. And Happy thank birthday. Thank you very much. Yay. So she is in Columbia right now with her mom, who is, I think she's 94, 95, uh, still living by herself, still just as, as independent and, and bright as, the, as they come. And they tell a story on January 27th, 19, whenever she was born, I'm not going to say, <laughs> that, uh, that it was snowing in Colombia and her dad had to physically carry her mom across the bridge to get to Lexington Medical Center. So that, that's, that would be so, wow. that would be a very sweet thing for her and her mom because she's with her for her birthday because she's, anyway, you know why, so. I'm glad you told me that, Doug. That makes I'm actually that makes me a little emotional there. I like that. Okay. And then we're off to the races. Okay, sounds great. Good deal. All right, are you ready, Doug? Hey, Doug Smith, what's shaking up there in the PD today, man? Not too much, Tom. How's everything down in the Low Country? It is beautiful. It is so beautiful out today. It is, uh, after we got rained on this week, it is uh, sunny and 
shiny and just absolutely i'm so glad we're here so speaking of sunny weather i want to introduce you to a new friend of ours chef dr mike fenster chef please dr chef doctor please meet doug smith <laughs> also known as doug the food guy hey doug hey. the food guy nice to meet you mate it's very nice meeting you too my friend and uh chef doctor that's a combination you don't normally see together so help me understand chef and doctor how does that go together uh like peanut butter and jelly or, or peas and carrots <laughs> we all know you're using jam right well yeah and of course homemade you know from of course we'll get into that but but everything <laughs> from from scratch and um it, you know it, it is funny uh because i get that a lot that like wow you know that's kind of a strange combination but as a bit of a history buff when you look back at the history this is that's that disassociation between food and health is really a pretty modern thing. And I think, you know, one of the reasons I was just having a conversation with somebody else and they're like, you know, healthcare today really has failed. It's like, tell me something, a statistic that's gotten better in the last 10 or 15 years. And, and there really isn't one by what we measure. And he's like, doctors, all they do is they're like an arm of the pharmaceutical industry. It's push a pill, push a procedure, you know, et cetera. And yet when you look at the very first cookbooks, like going back to ancient Greece, a lot of them were written by doctors because because that's how we treated people for so long. So so really, hmm. I, I'm not something new. I'm a throwback. <laughs> that is, uh, you, know, you know, Doug, you and I have never had this conversation, but uh, Miss Andrews, uh, mom, Miss Helen uh, has been giving me her, her cookbooks for, for years. My great grandmother gave me cookbooks and in those cookbooks. There are like poultices and rubs and I'm trying to think drawing medicines and sort of things like that. And the early, earliest of the Charleston recipe books is actually spelled receipts, which when you look at it is the R and the X. Yep. So you're right on, Mike. Uh, funny you should say that. I actually wrote an article in my local magazine about recipes started off being receipts. Yep. And I wrote a whole article about that because it, technically it was a receipt, a list of things. Yes. And then somewhere along the way, I forget now, but it changed. So anyway. That's kind of, that's cool. why I snuck that in there. Doug. That's why I said that. That's <laughs> right. You read my articles, don't you? Wow. Look at there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. RX has come a long way now, right? It's like this, the, uh, the injectable, you know, genetically engineered, um, your types of things uh, that that we prescribe now uh, have come a long way from those original receipts of from nature's pharmacy. Well, I'm, I'm a believer in uh, local honey, unfiltered. It, it makes helps me out with my sinuses. Uh, elderberry syrup. Oh my goodness, that stuff's so good. It heats your immune system up. And don't forget about fried shrimp. I don't know what that does, but it tastes good. <laughs> it, def it definitely tastes good, but you know, shrimp, you know, as a cardiologist, so the, the doctor in chef, Dr. Mike, I'm actually a, a cardiologist. And, you know, for years, we were supposed to tell people not to eat shrimp because shrimp are per gram or, or whatever measure you want to use one of the most cholesterol rich foods on the planet. Yet hmm. looked at people that eat shrimp uh, as part of their diet, they're incredibly healthy as long as the fried portion of it is moder in moderation. And, and you know, that just kind of goes back to a lot of what we we're just talking about, which is some of these errors in terms of food and health and food and health recommendations. One of the things that I've been saying for a long time, for decades, but which was only revealed, I guess, uh, probably within the last five years, they changed the guidelines, 
is the fact that the cholesterol in your food has no impact on the cholesterol in your body, what we would term the serum lipid. And so for years, I would, I, the guidelines were for someone like me as a cardiologist to tell someone like you, don't eat shrimp. They're high in cholesterol. Now I would say, oh, eat lots of shrimp. They're really good for you. <laughs> Everything changes, right? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, we have to, I think within, in medicine, and, and, and this is sort of one of my passions about culinary medicine, which is really what I focus on now, is we need to listen to where the data is taking us. Um, and, and a lot of that really is listening. Um, you were talking about kind of the ancestors and, and the old recipes and, and look into these uh, sorts of, of things and, and go where the data takes us, not try to twist the data into a narrative so we can sell more of this or more of that. That is so true. I, I think of my visits to the doctor on my checkups, cholesterol was always one of those you're borderline, you're going to have to go on this, this cholesterol medicine. And they always give you the samples. And it's, it is so funny because, you know, like you said, it's not necessarily your diet, but I do think if you exercise more and you, and you do the right things, your body seems to have a way of healing itself. So fast forward a year, I, I go get my blood drawn, go to the doctor and the nurse is like, man, that fill in the blank uh, medicine we prescribed you a year ago, has really brought your cholesterol down and everything is looking great. And I said, I never filled the prescription. And she goes, what? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Doug, Doug, only, only you would do that, man. That's good. That's, that is a, uh, that's funny. So Mike, tell us a little bit of an origin story for you. How about maybe like episode one? Let us hear who in the world is Chef Dr. Mike. Well, so it, I guess there's a, a couple of chapters there. And, and one was really goes back to, you know, my mom. And this is, we're, we're going to have to journey back to the days before the internet. So, you know, ancient history here for me. And um, we moved around a lot in the Northeast growing up. And I was always the new kid. So, you know, every two, three years, I was a new kid in school. And um, I think as most people will tell you, you know, being a new kid in, in an area, particularly when you didn't have the connectivity of cell phones and the internet and things today could be pretty rough. You know, when I would come home from school, um, my mom had just finished usually, you know, watching Julia Child or the Galloping Gourmet. So she was in the kitchen with cookbooks and, and getting ready to fix dinner. And I would always wander into the kitchen and and help. And so I'll, the the kitchen and that environment at a young age for me, kind of in retrospect, I probably didn't know it at the time, but I was doing culinary medicine or engaged in culinary medicine way back then because it was a healing place. It was a it was a sanctuary. And and we were crafting, you know, homespun food, you know, real ingredients. My mom was a kind of person we go to the, you know, what today would be like a farmer's market. We went to the, a local bakery, which today would be, you know, artisanal bread and et cetera, uh, things like that. Then, you know, I went off to college. And so it was very natural with that background to help pay for college to, to work in the food industry, which was very unglamorous at the time. There was no Guy Fieri and Food Network and, you know, all that stuff. Um, and I actually started as a dishwasher, worked my way up to a line cook and then back of the house. And eventually, by the time I left college and went off to medical school, I was running the back of the house, you know, on a, on a Friday or Saturday, I'd be what today we call an executive chef. Uh, you know, went off to medical school and got very busy, eventually becoming, you know, a cardiologist 
and had my own personal health challenges. So it really, you know, I, I knew what good food was. I knew what real food was. I knew how to fix it, obviously. Um, but I became like everybody else. I, you know, I got busy with life, uh, internship, residency, fellowship, et cetera. And, you know, I, I was got, we were, I was getting married and I had an ingrown toenail. So I stopped into the podiatrist because we were getting married in Scotland. And, you know, I didn't want to have issues over there. I want to do some hiking. I want to be a walk around. And a podiatrist, I'm a new patient. So they take x-rays and he walks in with this chart and he looks at the x-ray and then he looks at the chart. It's like, one second, goes back out, comes back in, does the same thing. It's like, one second. And this happens like three or four times. And, uh, you know, what he uh, eventually does, he's like, can I just ask you something? And I was like, yeah, please, because I don't want to be here all day. You're just going in and out of the door. And he's like, it says you're here for an ingrown toenail. And I was like, yes, that's correct. He's like, can I ask you something? So please. And he's like, how are you walking? Don't your feet hurt? And I was like, my feet hurt all the time. And he's like, you needed a joint replacement like about a year ago. And in one foot. And then he said, and your other foot needs a joint replacement today. And I was like, okay. And so like any good physician, I immediately got, went and got a second opinion because <laughs> I was like, this guy's just, just, you know, selling me a surgery. Um, and it, the second verse was the same as the first. And uh, at that time I ended up getting not joint replacement, but sort of a compromise where they just cleaned out the joint and debrided it uh, a little bit and, and, and so forth. And then I looked and said, what can I do um, to, to fix this? I know this is, you know, I had some joint damage and this is an inflammatory process and it came back to diet, um, which for most of the chronic disabilities and we uh, diseases we deal with, diet impacts 90% of those. So uh, it's, it's a huge impact on heart disease, joint disease, uh, neurologic disease, gut disease, cancers, uh, et cetera, autoimmune diseases, et cetera, et cetera. And so I started really researching, you know, what is the data? Like Doug and I were talking, why am I recommending that somebody, you know, keep the cholesterol out of their food? Cholesterol is included in every cell in our body and our most uh, cholesterol rich organ is our brain. So it's Im Im imperative for long lasting, you know, pertained uh, uh, cerebral function. So why am I telling people this? And what I found was, that what I've been telling people as a physician, as a cardiologist, there wasn't good data for that. And I was like, holy cow. Um, now I also spent time doing NIH bench research and microvascular physiology. I'm a chemistry major. So I understood the research I was reading. I, I know how to go through scientific documents. Uh, and I was like, this, this narrative, it, it, there's something wrong here. And so I started fixing myself. I, I was my first experiment. And, you know, that was over almost three decades ago now, Tom and Doug, and I, I still have not gotten that joint replacement. Now, I can't go do a hard impact thing, like I can't run on the road like I used to do or jog, but, you know, in the summertime, I can bike um, 100 miles a week in Mont on the Montana mountains. So, you know, um, wow. my joints are, are, are doing okay, especially for, you know, the, the age I'm at. And... Um, then I started sharing that knowledge with patients and they started to respond and 
like just like Doug was talking about. And so that really, I had an opportunity um, to develop a course in this culinary medicine at the University of Montana. Uh, and that's what I've been doing, really um, sort of transitioning to that full time over the last almost decade now. So that that's kind of how I got you know to where I am. And, and I will say that from when I started many decades ago, and I had my peers, other cardiologists say, when I, with some of the books I've written, they're like, Mike, I love the data. You're absolutely right. Um, but I can't give you a testimonial because I got fired. Uh, uh, these were friends at university. It's like, I can't tell um, a, a cardiology patient they can eat a steak. Um, I'll get fired. Um, but your dad is right. And over the course of these decades, now you hear all the talk about, hey, we've got to cut down the ultra processed food. We've got to look at this and we've got to look at that. And you know, so um, the vindication has, has been a little sweet. It's been, it's been my dessert, so to speak. <laughs> Mike, tell me, based on your research and all, all that you did, how did that help you? I know it helped you physically, it helped your bones. Did that have any effect on you mentally? Oh, absolutely. They, 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 the two are intertwined like this. So um, I just sent out something. Um, I do a little newsletter for all our culinary medicine graduates that have come through our class and, and kind of keep everybody up to date. And just last week, I sent them an update on three articles that showed the importance of our mental state on our gut health. So one study looked at Tibetan monks versus people, then they matched everything for diet and age and all, all, those, all those good things. But they showed that just our mental frame of mind influences the type and number of healthy bacteria in our gut, um, which are, of course are also influenced by what we eat. And that of course influences our mental state. So we could show that people who suffer from depression, autism, et cetera, uh, there's something wrong and different about the bacteria in their gut, which hmm. is a consequence of what they eat but also how we eat. So that's a big part of culinary medicine. Um, and, and that's a part that was influenced, you know, in my youth, I, I spent and, and, and still did do um, practicing a particular type of Japanese martial art. So from a very young age, for example, you know, I, I spent a couple of weeks in a, in, a, in a Buddhist monastery in the mountains of Japan and understood what we would call mindfulness today um, we didn't even call it back then, right? We would just do these exercises to develop our focus so we didn't get smacked in the face when you're doing martial arts. <laughs> so it, it was it was like punishment avoidance. Like I'm, I'm going to be able to focus, you know, in that moment. But what I found is that that is incredibly linked to the experience. And when you think about it, and it's why I hate the term when people say food as medicine, right? Like as a cardiologist, I have lots of patients like Doug. I can barely get them to take an aspirin when they, after they've had a heart attack. Doug's going, I'm doing better. I didn't take the medicine. Um, you know, and and who wants to take medicine if you don't have to, right? Uh, it has side effects. Listen to any of the commercials on TV. And, and there's something joyless about it for me. And food as a chef is all about that human experience, the, the joy, the happiness, right? As a chef, I want to I want to feed you guys. I want to make you a pizza. You sit down and you say, Chef Dr. Mike, man, this is a killer pizza. And, and you know, we share that food experience um, over food over, with a glass of wine, with a conversation, kind of, you know, what we're doing now. And food is that that kind of glue that um, the term I use is it's social currency. 
it's what makes us human, right? There were lots of little tribes of, you know, social primates hundreds of thousands of years ago on, on the African plains. But, but one night, one member of one tribe, you know, put some ribs on the Barbie and they all sat, we all sat around our ancestors because that's who they were. And, you know, we had ribs on the Barbie and we shared, started to share stories and we had food and fire and fellowship. And, and that tribe of social primates became humans. And, and so food, you know, has, you know, without foods, there'd be no pirates. Civilizations rose and fell um, over spice trades and land for food and things like this. It's part of who we are. It's, it's, it's our, in our DNA. It's social currency. It connects us to the earth and connects us to each other. And, and it's not just about so many of this nutrients and reduce that nutrient. Um, it's, it's that food experience. So it's emotional. It's mental. And, and I dare say, in a way, it's very spiritual uh, in terms of the food experience. And that's what's at the core of culinary medicine. And, and to me, that's what sets what we do apart from um, eat this, don't eat that. You know, I'm going to check how many calories you're eating today. You know, here's a weight loss medication. Blech. You know, um, let's let's get in there and have that food experience. Let's let's connect as human beings again. And I think maybe COVID highlighted that, you know, that aspect of it when we couldn't, when we couldn't connect. And what did you see? You know, uh, abuses went up in terms of drugs and alcohol. Suicides went up. Depression became rampant. We are social primates in one form or another. For most of us, we need that. We thrive on that connection. Um, and food is the currency. It's it's the it's the lubricant that, that keeps that engine you know running smoothly. I mean, just think about how different your relationship is when you can sit down and and you share you know food and conversation and a glass of wine. Yeah, you know, you say food is a uh, c currency, and I'd never really thought of it that way until you just said it. But I'm sitting as you were talking, thinking all the times you invite people over to your home around the kitchen, all the times you invite people to come hang out over a glass of wine and you have a securitary tray and then you have a pizza. It's, you know, a lot of our, it doesn't matter, birthdays, celebrations, sadness, whether it be uh, funerals or whatever, it's all built around food and uh, food is a currency. And all of a sudden I've got a whole new uh, view of what that looks like. Thank you for using that. Oh, my play, and it really is right. And and I love what you what you highlighted because it's all the important moments, whether you know it's a marriage or a birthday, which are happy moments, but it's sadness too. You know, and and you think you know when somebody passes, um, you, what what do people do? They bring food, right? Yeah. You know, and and um, of course, the Irish wake. It's a sadness, but it's also a celebration. And, you know, it's all about the food um, and, and, you know, the food and the drink and celebrating somebody's, you know, life, you know, in that way. So, yeah. Um, and that's and that's at the core of what we teach, uh, what we share in culinary medicine and why it's a different approach uh, to food and health than this, you know, food is medicine. The only thing worse is, than food is medicine is food is fuel. Like we're having a conversation. We're not cars. Um, we, you know, we're human beings. And what's abundantly clear and looking at the literature and the research over decades is, you know, we make the world by how we perceive it. 
and that affects us physically in our physical bodies, right? I mean, people say, what, what's the you know, a, a number one killer in this country? It's stress, right? You know, uh, and that has an impact on us uh, in terms of our physiology, the excess cortisol that's, that gets turned on and then doesn't get shut off. And it turns on this chronic low-level inflammation, which affects the bacteria in the gut, which affects your brain and how you feel. And so you get in, in these funks. And, and we do, to a degree, try to treat ourselves with food, right? So we know that these ultra-processed foods are engineered, they are constructed. So they're not natural. It's not making a pizza with natural ingredients. It's putting things in there that stimulate our dopaminergic uh, receptors like a drug and you get addicted to it. And that's why before you know it, you're eating a bag of chips and four pints of you know ice cream because physiologically you are getting a dose of something that increases a dopaminergic response um, in, in your brain. Now, what's really fascinating about that is I was reading uh, an article just published a few weeks ago that showed the back, depending on the type of bacteria you have in your gut, if you have healthy bacteria in your gut, they can actually do the same thing for you. So that with exercise, and um, either you or, or Tom was mentioning exercise as part of a, uh, a healthy lifestyle, getting up and moving. So here's, here's kind of crazy food for thought is the bacteria in your gut can be responsible for what we might turn an exercise high or make people know it as a runner's high. Uh, that really good feeling, that happiness that you kind of get. And they do it by secreting something that contacts the nerves in your gut. Those nerves in your gut go to your brain and they shut down uh, the, the enzyme that breaks down dopamine. So you have more dopamine in that dopaminergic reward center. We experience that as happiness and pleasure. So who's controlling who if the bacteria are the ones really affecting our mood and our emotions. So to me, again, that's one of the core things about culinary medicine. It's it's how we're connected and how we're, you know, connected through this bacteria to the food we eat and where it comes from. So uh, yeah, so it's crazy like invasion of the body snatcher stuff. That is definitely a two glass of wine conversation. <laughs> it, it definitely is. I have a, a buddy of mine who also happens to be our vet and he uh, began teaching me many years ago. He said that, and I don't know the words, and he says I'm you know, much cooler than I do, but he talked about, he said, you can start getting, as you get a little older and um, mature, which I'm, I'm older, I guess, but <laughs> <laughs> he said, you'll start getting a little belly fat. And he said, in his belief and in, in his research as a doctor of veterinary medicine, he said that it is his belief that as that develops, that that fat can actually send signals to your gut and to your body telling you to eat things that will cause you to have more fat. Have you ever heard of that before? Yeah, the the the, the what we've learned um is that these fat cells that we thought, you know, they just sit there and they just, you know, store the fat and that's their job are actually communicating all the time. So they're sending out these chemical messengers that can affect us in terms of, you know, inflammatory state, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that's, that's absolutely um, correct. And that it also kind of can impact our gut bacteria, which, you know, back in the dark ages, when I went to medical school, they're like, oh, there's a bunch of bacteria living in your gut. They don't really do anything. They kind of eat the leftovers of the fiber you can't digest. 
Now we've learned really only over probably the last decade. Uh, and, and so the kind of where it's kind of the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we know and, and how it will play out. But these things, we consider them an organ now. I mean, it's an essential organ. Um, and, you know, some papers have, have come out and said, wow, when you look at what these bacteria do um, in terms of turning some of our genes on and turning some of our genes off, et cetera, we, we couldn't live without them. So if you had no bacteria in your gut, um, and, and you, you kind of get a sense of that, right? If you've ever had a kid and you, and you had to change a newborn's diaper, oh my gosh, right? There's oh, nothing yeah. worse than, than those, those, you get them home from the hospital and those fresh poopy diapers, oh God. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, you can't exist through your life with that kind of poop, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm having flashbacks right now. <laughs> yeah, Those memories that. never leave. I mean, you can uh, that smell. Oh my God. You cannot <laughs> unsmell it. <laughs> you, can, you can't, you cannot un, unremember that. Exactly. Oh. That, is, that is good. So you have a photo on your website, Mike. The reason I brought it up is because you said it a minute ago. Is it, it? I first thought it was a pirate picture, but then as I looked at it, kind of looked at it, kind of a patriot. And I was thinking, you know, that's kind of following a path with you. Is, is that something that you do? Do you participate in those sort of events? Uh, you know, I, I am growing older, but I am definitely not growing up. So my lifelong ambition is still to just be a, pi a simple pirate. Uh, <laughs> and, and sort of all kidding aside, you, I really, decades ago, when I was sort of a professional pariah for what I was saying, you know, to my colleagues, um, who, you know, in private told me, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Your dad is great. Um, this is exciting. But, you know, I, I work at a university, Mike, I can't support this. They'll fire me because it's 180 degrees from, you know, what what it, things were decades ago in terms of recommendations. You kind of have a choice, right? So you can, you can say, you know, the heck with this. I'm going to make lots of money and I'm going to just regurgitate what the mainstream line is, uh, what the party line is. Um, as like they were telling Doug, you know, take a cholesterol medicine. I, I can do that. I can make tons of money and I can retire healthy and wealthy and, and with lots of toys, um, you know, or I can stick to my guns and, and take a bit of a pirate stand and be willing, you know, to shoot, put a shot across the bow and say, no, um, we need to change course because this isn't right. Um, this is this is where the data is taking us. Um, this is the treasure. Uh, so, you know, I made that decision um, only because my wife was willing to, to support us in, pover in, the, in this impoverishing decision, uh, you know, to, to, to sort of, forgive the pun, follow my gut, uh, follow my instincts. And, you know, it's, it's really been um, a lifelong passion and crusade. And I did it and I do it. Uh, back then, nobody else was saying it. And I do it today because very few people are saying it. And every time, you know, I interact and, and we just started a new semester at the at the university and one of my students responded and, you know, she said, why did I, why do I not know this? And she's looking at the information and, and my idea is to put the, to serve them the, the, a, a platter and let them, them taste it and come to their own conclusions. And, and that just struck me. She was she was almost angry. She's like, 
Why is nobody telling me this? Why has nobody told me this? Here's, I see it. I see the data. Um, I, I see what's going on. Why is no, why is nobody sharing this? Why, why? And I was like, well, that's why you're here. So now that you've learned, you can share with five friends and they can share with five friends. So for decades, it's, it's been a bit of uh, building the pirate legend of Chef Dr. Mike. So def definitely you caught on to that. Um, Man, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Because I was listening to something. It's like, this dude is a pirate. I don't even know. <laughs> Absolutely. And then I saw the photograph. I said, oh, I know I know who this guy is. That is, uh, so which came first, doctor or chef? Which came first, doctor chef. or chef? chef? Chef. So, yeah. So um, I started, as I mentioned, as a dishwasher in college. Over the course of college, worked up to what we call today executive chef. Then I went, eventually I went back um, and got a culinary degree. So I have a degree in gourmet cooking and catering from Ashworth University uh, outside of Atlanta. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I eventually did, did go back. Um, and I think as far as I know, I'm the only uh, person with a, so I've had my college appointment in our College of Health and UM Medicine, the University of Montana, uh, but I also have a cross appointment in the culinary school. So, um, <laughs> well, I've met a lot of chefs. I've met a lot of doctors. You're the very first one I ever met that was chef doctor, Mike. So That's why. Do you wear the same coat? Do you wear like your chef coat? I put my pirate coat on, guys. It's perfect for everything. <laughs> well, that is funny. On a serious question, chef doc, Mike, I know that personally, I've never bought in or subscribed to the idea of going on any type of diet i just feel like that's setting yourself up for failure just never works i've always bought into eat well make good decisions on a regular basis if there was one food out there that you've run across what's one that you say you gotta try it it's really delicious and it's healthy and what's one food that you would say you know what i'm not gonna tell you not to eat it but i sure wouldn't recommend it forget forgive the puns but uh, I'm, I'm full of them you really get into the to the heart of our culinary medicine approach there, Doug, because the way that we view food has got to change. And that's what we're trying to teach. So people look and they say, you know, oh, red meat. No, can't have that. Um, you've got to eat plants no matter what form they come in. Or no, got to have fish or you got to have this or that. And we're all completely different. So our approach and, and my approach to implementing this is the exact opposite of what you've experienced. So like you said, you go to a doctor's office and they give you a diet. And as you said, the, the data is within five years, 90% of people who have undertaken that are worse off than when they started the diet. So the diets failed, many of them way more and worse health than when they started. So clearly that, that doesn't work. And yet, you know, you still see so much of eat this, don't eat that. I mean, a whole series of, of diets follow that sort of traditional Western medicine view. I'm the physician. I tell you what to do. You go do it. That doesn't work with diet, right? I mean, we have different taste buds. We have different experiences. Our personal food story is our story. And, and all our stories are different. And what I like, you might find repulsive. And what you like, I might say, oh, God, you know, I'm, I, I can't eat that. But what is clear is that when we eat real food, so what nature's provided us, prepared in traditionally the simplest, most wholesome manner, what I would call authentic foods, 
-hmm. wherever we look, whatever people eat, they're healthier. Whether it's a blue zones and we're looking at people eating a traditional diet in Okinawa, Japan, whether it's, you know, uh, folks um, in Italy, you know, drinking their red wine, uh, whether it's a group in Costa Rica, uh, whether it's Aboriginal peoples in Australia, whether it's rural farmers in Vietnam, where, whether it's Eskimos, wherever we look, when people eat wholesome, real food, they're healthier and generally happier uh, and they live longer. When people eat the stuff that's put out for us to consume in this country and many other uh, westernized nations, ultra processed food, which is a category as we teach specifically different from those real foods, those manufactured foods I talked about uh, earlier, and they've been scientifically classified uh, by a group out of Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, uh, Professor Montiero and his colleagues, and it's known as the NOVA classification, with classes one, two, and three being these wholesome foods, and class four being these specifically ultra-processed foods, what we see is that that is what correlates with all the chronic disability and chronic disease and inflammation and the changes in the gut bacteria. So I would say, you know, to you, you know, eat whatever you want to eat, just make it real food, whatever makes you happy. Um, and, and we actually uh, have uh, something called the healing table. Um, and that is exactly how we work it. I don't come to you and say, Doug, eat this, don't eat that. I come to you and I say, Doug, and we can do this right now. Um, if you could have anything to eat that you wanted to tonight for dinner, what would you pick? You know, what would be your main question? I can see a grass-fed prime beef ribeye, uh, maybe sautéed with a little bit of butter, a uh, side of uh, some Brussels sprouts, or, hey, roasted beets would be pretty awesome, too. I'm just saying some nice veggies with it. Just I'd say set your table for two because I'm coming, and I'm, I'm, I'm joining you with that, and I would fix that because what you just described is a tremendously helpful meal. Absolutely nothing on there. The, the butter, right? Nope, that's good. Um, we, we look at the French paradox. Um, many people don't want to talk about that, that but it was published in the 90s. It's the, I sort of spurned, uh, spawned the idea where red wine is good, but the French were eating butter and cream and all the fats that we were telling people in the US not to eat at that time. And their heart attack rate was less than 50% of what was going on in the US. And the French consume more butter than any population on earth. So the, the real wholesome red meat, not ultra processed, real butter, not trans fat rich margarine, uh, fresh veggies, you know, out of the garden prepared simply. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you just described, I, I wouldn't change a thing uh, other, other, other than sending myself a plate. Yeah. <laughs> Come on over. Uh, <laughs> we do have three, three plates and we'll have a lot of fun. Uh, I'm there, uh, and I'm I'm even willing to cook. So I'll, I'll do those uh, roasted beets for you. I actually have a recipe for something I developed because we get a lot of produce, and I'm from Montana, so uh, we're expecting you know one to two feet of snow. So obviously we can't grow a lot of our veggies during these winter months. So we have a lot of root veg and things that we preserve, you know, from our summer garden. They you know are are because I, I I don't buy tomatoes if it's not coming out of somebody's sun kissed garden. It ain't, you know, it ain't a tomato. It doesn't have any flavor. Um, Agreed. And and so we use a lot of the root veg and I do a mean gin pickled beet, which is absolutely delicious. It's just a little pickling liquid. You uh, get your 
a gin that has the profile that you like. And, you know, we started talking off about these receipts, uh, the original recipes, receipts and poultices, right? Gin was originally a medicinal tonic. So it had all yep. the herbs and they extracted the healing uh, compounds using alcohol as the, and, and here I will say, as the solution. Um, so I guess in a way, alcohol is a solution from a chemical perspective uh, to draw out um, and dissolve into a form that we can ingest all these things that are parts of, you know, different herbs and, and plant-based botanicals. So you, you can find all these different profiles and flavors. I think the common thing for gin is that it includes juniper berries, but other than that, they're incredibly varied. And you'll find a flavor profile that you like and put that in with the pickling liquid. And then obviously as the beets sit in that liquid, uh, they absorb more of, of those flavors and, and more of those compounds. Uh, but but yeah, a great side dish. I, I love having some roast. I, I do gin pickled beets and apples as a side dish to a pork chop. And it, it's, it's, it's a great fall dish. Uh, how many plates do you have at your house? Not <laughs> <laughs> well, for you guys, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, it is kind of super sexy to live in Montana these days. I don't know if you've been keeping up with current events, but it is a cowboy. It is everybody wants to move to Montana now, it looks like. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I will say if any Yellowstone fans are out there and they go look at not the very last episode of the season, but the two episodes before, uh, they'll see yours truly in the background, stealing the scene. Um, yes, I was, I was an extra and I made the cut. And particularly if you're watching um, the next to last episode and and Rip is up on the fence talking to, you know, the, the hands, mm -hmm. you'll see me with, with my pirate hat and my pirate jacket, you know, walk behind him, not once, but twice, because I got to walk back the other side as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm digging the star life here in Montana. Yeah, for so, sure. So you're so you're almost like star doctor chef. Wait, we got to do chef doctor. Well, it's star. getting very confusing here, Tom. Yeah, it's a lot of, besides that, you got all those damn initials behind your names. So your name's like, you know, freaking like a foot long, bro. I yeah, like and, I, like and, and I, I go back to to my mother's wisdom, which she said, you know, the more initials after your name, the deeper the BS. So be what you've been warned. And those are initials. So that makes it even better. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, uh, I, I, I try to keep it simple, like like my mom said. Well, there's probably not many other pairs of two guys that you could be uh, talking to now that don't love a pun, <laughs> you know, as much as, uh, especially Doug. He, I'm surprised he hasn't. You haven't really been very pun punny today. Interesting. I think that's because I came landing on two wheels. Uh, to make the three o'clock cutoff, I was popping sweat. You know, <laughs> were you in the mini? Were you in the mini sliding in, or are you in the? No, but it would have been a lot more fun that way. There is probably a food that you know, and I know we've kind of covered a little bit because we're talking about food. Is uh, what is the food that you see that everybody eats? It's just like the most common food that you see, and what is the food? kind of similar to Doug, what is the food that you wish everybody would taste? So uh, bring back to my favorite, which I do every week every, when I'm home every Friday, pizza. So I see people eat pizza all the time. And it, the industrial pizza is crap. I mean, you know, it's been written, oh, you know, a slice of pizza is one of the 10 worst foods that, you know, you could possibly consume. And when you get an industrial pizza 
from the chains, et cetera. They're absolutely right. What I wish everybody could taste is a slice of real pizza, right? Something humble, um, you know, a dough that doesn't have sugar and unnecessary things added to it and all these preservatives and stabilizers, mm -hmm. but is, is water, flour, um, a starter. So yeast or I use sourdough uh, a lot in, in, in my uh, pizza doughs and a little bit of salt. A sauce that, you know, isn't a sweet treat with all these oils and again, additives and, and tons of sugar to create, um, you know, an, an, an addiction of, of sorts, but is, you know, the fresh tomatoes we're talking about crushed up a little, maybe a little olive oil, again, maybe a little salt, you know, fresh, real cheese, not this titanium dioxide, white stained, shredded, emulsified garbage uh, that they put on, you know, real toppings, fresh basil, uh, you know, not, you know, whatever those little, little pellets are that, you know, they put on that are, is supposed to be like a real sausage. Uh, taste that real pizza, feel how good you feel after you eat it. You know, eating real food is like flying first class because once you do it, um, you can't go back behind that curtain. And, you know, what I've had people tell me is, wow, I, I can't believe, it, it's almost like when people quit smoking. That's where I, I, I see the same effect. When I could finally get, you know, some patients to quit smoking, they would come in and they'd say, you know, I can't, I smoke two packs a day. I can't even stand to be around when somebody's smoking it. I, I don't like it. Uh, but I was smoking two packs a day. And in terms of food, I've had people come in and say, you know, I can't even walk into a fast food joint anymore because I smell that oil and it doesn't smell good. It's not making me crave it. Yet I used to go through the drive through at least once a day for breakfast, lunch, sometimes for both. So um, that's, that's what I wish. Um, I wish people would eat some real food and, and the results, the flavors you'll experience, you know, as a chef, so exciting, so much in this world to, to taste, um, to taste and enjoy. And, and we take that for granted. Um, if we got time, I want to tell a real quick story. A colleague uh, told me, uh, um, and, and she was a, a phenomenal, um, you know, healer. And she had actually diagnosed a guy and noticed that he had uh, a, a type of oral cancer. So she sent him to an oncologist and he, he had, it was advanced. So he's squamous cell. So he had to have surgery, uh, chemotherapy and radiation therapy. And she was his family physician. And so she followed him. And after five years, the cancer was still gone. So we consider that being cancer free. And she sat with him and she's like, you know, Mr. Smith, uh, I want to congratulate you. You know, you're cancer free today. Uh, let's celebrate. And she said he started to cry. And he said, Doc, I appreciate what you did. You, you saved my life. And I am so grateful. And I appreciate every single doc and nurse that, you know, through the surgeries and the treatments, you know, got me through that. So I could be where I am here today. But since then, for the last five years, I've not been able to taste anything. And I would have rather just died. Ooh. And that's how powerful the simple enjoyment of tasting our food can be. And I see so many people eat mindlessly and, and not even take time to experience real food and the flavors, let alone what we talked about earlier, which is, you know, enjoying that experience with another human being, or perhaps just taking the time, you know, to, to eat 
and enjoy our food even when we're by ourselves. You know, the great uh, MFK Fisher wrote that, you know, Lucellus dines with Lucellus for a reason. And, and that goes back to the, the story of this ancient Roman senator named Lucellus. And he had tons of money and he had a personal chef back in Rome. And so he was telling that chef, um, okay, uh, this, this menu, this is kind of weak, dude. Um, we, we need this and this and this and this. And that's what we're having, you know, on the, uh, for, we're serving for dinner tonight. And the chef looked at him and he said, wow, you know, this is, this is going to cost, you know, a, a, a lot of money here, a lot of coin. Um, who's coming over? And he said, excuse me, tonight, Lucellus dines with Lucellus. And, <laughs> and the whole point being that, you know, when, when we are alone, when we're on the road, um, you know, I've spent plenty of ho- nights in a hotel, you know, traveling around the country, and I cook in my hotel room. Well, I have enjoyed, you know, taking a moment and to, to really just stop and taste the food. Say stop and smell the roses, you know, stop and smell your plate, taste your mm-hmm. food, enjoy it, and then enjoy the moments that we have with each other, you know, over food, sharing that wine, talking about it. That's what I wish. Wow. What a, what a, that, that, that was a great story. First off, I have to share my wife is a cancer survivor as well. And one of the best pieces of advice I can remember, I don't even remember who it was that told us, but someone said, when you get your first chemo, do not eat your favorite food at all. Stay away from all of your favorite foods until after this is over, because it changes your taste buds. And all of a sudden things you loved and enjoyed, you will no longer like. So that was some good advice that we got. And like I say, she ate well, but she didn't eat her favorite foods as much until after all that was said and done. So she's healthy now, cancer-free, keeps me straight, uh, somewhat. <laughs> so, I was going to say, I got that in recording, so we can. <laughs> uh, we're going to cut that part out, right, Tom? <laughs> yeah, I, I got it. I'll cut that out. We'll take that out in post. In, in post. Cool. That's our new term we learned. Yeah. I know it's that time we got to raise our hands and say we got to catch airline flights and all that kind of stuff. But wow, it has been a whirlwind, Chef Doc Mike. This has been awesome. Well, thank you. And I want to leave your listeners, if they want to see how culinary medicine works, uh, if they go to uh, PBS or they go to the website, uh, my uh, PBS show, uh, House Calls with Chef Dr. Mike, was uh, launched uh, this fall past. And they can watch it for free on PBS YouTube. So uh, head there. And and if they like it, give it a thumbs up. So uh, we've had an offer for more seasons. So uh, who knows? <laughs> you might be seeing more Montana. That's awesome. Chef Dr. Market has been so much fun to talk to you. One of the last things that we would want to know is, is where we will find you. Thinking both social on maybe a show that you've got coming up. Uh, and also, where would we find you out in the community? So you can, uh, again, uh, you can look on PBS uh, and look for my TV show, which just came out this fall, House Calls with Chef Dr. Mike. Uh, watch that there. Follow me on social media at Chef Dr. Mike. That's Chef Dr. Mike. Uh, you can find uh, me on my webpage at www.chefdrmike.com, which is, again, is chefdrmike.com. Uh, and uh, yeah, just look for me, um, you know, on Yellowstone in the background, uh, out and about the community. And um, 
look for me in the neighborhood. I, you know, I, I, I travel around the country. I'm often invited to, you know, talk to all different groups of folks. Um, so I'd love to come to, to your neck of the woods. So uh, if there are organizations out there um, that you're part of, um, uh, I'd, I'd love to come to your neighborhood, cook for you guys. And, um, and yeah, and, and share, share stories, food and fellowship. Love it. That is good stuff. Mike, it has been a pleasure. Doug, you know, you're awesome, man. I will wish you guys to say, and Mike, before we go, can we catch up with you later? Can we call back and find out what you're doing? Oh, absolutely, man. Um, all, all the time, uh, anytime. It's, it's been great. I want to come down to, to your neck of the woods. It gets me some of that low country boil. Yeah, buddy. We'll be your host. We'll take yeah. care of you. We know we some good hidden gems on the low country broil. For sure. hey, you know, Doug, maybe uh, when they do the uh, food thing at your, uh, Doug has an awesome business at the Florence uh, market there, the, the city market in Florence, and they do kind of a food, food and wine sort of, event. maybe we'll get Mike to come down for that. Oh, that would be so cool. That's coming up in April. I think it is. We have some people like yourself that are cookbook writers and uh, they're in all kind of TV. I think it's Food Network and they come and to Florence and we have a really good time. It's the Florence Food and Wine Festival. We're actually planning it now and don't laugh, but I've been invited to be a presenter and I'm going to be cooking hot dogs. Nice. Okay. Well, I'll come down and comment on the, the health benefits of wine. <laughs> Before you laugh, all natural, grass fed. Oh, okay. From prime beef in lamb casings, hand tied. So not your average hot dog. Actually, I have a, a healthy, not healthy, but just a sausage recipe cookbook that was prepared from a, a colleague of mine years ago who was the head of nutrition at a medical school here in the States. And we talked about how, and throughout history, a real sausage, which is what a hot dog is, as you pointed out, Correct. is and can be a super healthy food, but it's so different than the industrial one. So yeah, you're spot on. And, and I give you the chef, Dr. Mike, seal of approval on that. You could say, now I want to come down and have some hot dogs. And then, and then I can tell you it's chef tested and doctor approved. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's a t-shirt. That's a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> <I'm excited. laughs> oh, goodness. Well, Mike, it is such a pleasure to know you, Mike. We had so much fun talking with you today, and, and I know that we got to go catch flights and hit it. So, Doug, you know you're awesome, man. Mike, I can't wait to see you again. Cheers from Likewise. Charleston. Cheers, Cheers from Florence. Guys. Cheers. See you in Florence. <laughs>